0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Tar Hill Prescription, a student run podcast here at the UNC School of Medicine. My name is Abdul. And my
1: name is Peter. We are so excited to bring you another episode of our new series, Walk in Their Heels. This series aims to build more rapport and relatability within the UNC community and maybe, if we're lucky, the medical community as a whole by engaging our wonderful mentors in conversation about their personal experiences with adversity throughout their journey into medicine. And today, we'll be diving into the topic of cultivating relationships with a resident Tar Heel power couple, Dr. Rahangdale and Dr. Jensen. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to be here with us today. If you would, please tell us a little more about who you are and what you do here at UNC. I'm Brian Jensen. I'm a Associate Professor in the Departments of Medicine and Pharmacology. My
2: clinical appointment is in cardiology and I spend roughly 40% of my time doing clinical cardiology work, heart failure, heart transplant and cardio-oncology more specifically, and the, much of the remainder of my time is spent running a, a basic and translational lab.
3: And I'm Lisa rahang I'm Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology in our um, general OBGYN division. And I'm also Associate Dean for Admissions at the UNC School of Medicine. I practice full-scope general OBGYN on labor and delivery, seeing patients in the outpatient clinic, particularly our dysplasia clinic, and working with women with abnormal pap smears. And um, also in our infectious disease clinic, I work with women living with HIV and do their obstetric and gynecologic care. And that's all connected to my research interests in infectious diseases and women And so I do research in um, prevention of perinatal HIV transmission, as well as prevention of cervical cancer. And then, of course, in my admissions role, I work with our faculty and students on our admissions committee to admit all you awesome medical students and uh, recruit you to come to UNC.
0: Thank you for that. It is an absolute pleasure to have you guys with us today and to hear about the incredible things that you both are doing. Getting to where you both are today professionally has not been easy, and I'm sure there are many, many things to navigate when trying to build a life together as well. Before we hear more about your story as a couple, though, we are interested in learning more about your individual journeys to medicine. Could you tell us a little more about that?
2: Sure. So I I often tell people when asked similar questions that I have taken the path of most resistance to get where I am now. (laughs) I went to a small liberal arts school with no intention of entering medicine as a career, I was a philosophy and English major, and I took the bare minimum basic science classes as an undergrad. I realized um, as I approached graduation a couple of things: um, one is that I probably was not going to fare well as a professional philosopher, and two is that i I had more of an interest in in medicine as a career than I thought perhaps I might upon entering college and so I moved from Southern California to Seattle and cr- created basically a, a post-bac course of study for myself that lasted for six quarters. I took classes primarily at night and, and worked a couple of jobs during the day, and then found that I actually really loved the science, much much to my surprise, and, and that the, the notion of being a physician and providing care for others. Um, was actually appealing to me and, and so I applied to medical school and and was, was very fortunate to be accepted to UNC. I grew up in Chapel Hill, so it was a homecoming for me. And I enrolled in medical school in 1996, three years after graduating from undergrad we might talk a bit more about medical school later, but I, I took five years to graduate from medical school. I I did a year of um, basic science research that was ended up being very formative for me. Um, it was then called the Distinguished Medical Scholars Program and now goes by the Holderness Scholars Program. Um, and it really lit a fire for me and helped me to understand that, that what I hoped to do with my career was to become a physician scientist and that would marry the deeply gratifying day-to-day role of being a care provider for people and helping people with what I viewed as an opportunity to, to exercise creativity in the role as a scientist. I went to Boston for residency and spent three years there. As you'll hear later, my, the next step in my training was informed largely by a desire to be with this woman I was seeing <laughs> uh, at the time. And so, I moved uh, along with her to San Francisco and and did what ended up being a a five-year fellowship in cardiology. And that was two and a half clinical years and and two and a half, well, actually, (laughs) three clinical years and and three research years crammed into five years of training. Was fortunate to receive a, a career development award from the NIH to support ongoing work in the lab, then decided to move back here in 2009. And I will Pause my story there and, and let Lisa tell her story.
3: Sure. So I um, I didn't know that I wanted to go to medical school undergrad either. I was a poli sci major when I started, and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And then had experiences um, in the community and realized that wasn't exactly how I wanted to serve and. The biology classes I, were, I was taking were also very interesting, and so I became a double major in that. And it wasn't until I was a junior in college that I worked at a camp through the Easter Seal Society um, with individuals with disabilities that uh, I really enjoyed that clinical care and direct contact with people in a different way um, than what I initially thought. And so at that point, I made that pivot, um, but went ahead and applied to medical school when I was a senior. I don't think I clearly—I can only imagine what my interview was like. I clearly was not ready at that time, and so I didn't get into medical school the first year I applied. And then <clears throat> I decided to do an AmeriCorps program in um, Chicago on the west side of Chicago, and I was a teacher's assistant in a fourth grade classroom, and that was. Really meaningful and informative for me in terms of how. I mean, I think I just was a really um, sheltered, naive person who like had never stepped out of my comfort zone, um, and and you know that really changed me. And I assume that probably when I um, interviewed the next year, I uh, came back with some different perspectives and I was accepted. So I landed in medical school in 1996, same time as Brian. And um, that's where we met. But um, and then I decided I came into medical school thinking I wanted to be a pediatrician. And I was pretty sure about it. And I, and the, during orientation, we took these Myers-Briggs tests and based on our personalities, I was told that I should do like all these surgical subspecialties. And I thought this test is stupid.
2: Like, <laughs> I, I was told I should not be in medical school. <laughs> well, that's quite different. <laughs> right,
3: right? And so I was like, what is going on with this test? I clearly that this is not my path, but I, um, I, you know, went to third year and, um, I really loved pediatrics, but then I did my surgery rotation next and I just loved trauma surgery. My residents said, I think that you will probably like OBGYN. I'd never considered it at all. And then I did OBGYN and I still had some back and forth about surgery versus OBGYN, but ultimately OBGYN let me fulfill my public health interests and um, clinical interests. And I felt like I was able to have everything that I would want in a medical career through that field. And so then um, I graduated and started residency in um, Chicago, did my four years of OBGYN residency, and I was finishing residency at the same time when Brian was finishing residency. And then we moved to San Francisco where I did a reproductive infectious disease fellowship, which is not a boarded fellowship, but um, it was based on my interest again, in perinatal HIV transmission and prevention. And um, I got my MPH at Berkeley during that time period. And then I finished my fellowship and I started this um, NIH-funded training fellowship called the Women's Reproductive Health Research Fellowship at Stanford. And then I um, was in that fellowship and they lost their funding for the fellowship. And so then I was out of a job, really. Um, They didn't have any funding for me. And it was a matter of like, I mean, I didn't have a job for like six months, right? <laughs> um, in San and,
0: Francisco, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: and um, and we had, of course. Well, anyway, this is, but we had two kids, and I was basically like our uh, Brian's entire fellowship salary. We just said went to the nanny, <laughs> and then we, you know, anyway, it wasn't. It was a, a challenging situation for me because I was in the middle of that whole like I have babies and I'm working, but now I don't have a job, and I really don't like not having a job. And so that was a difficult time period. But luckily, um, we were applying for jobs um, on the East Coast because we also recognized a desire that we wanted to be closer to friends and family. And we both got jobs at UNC, which is like, I mean, really wonderful that it it would worked out that way with both of us being from North Carolina and, um, you know, getting to come back home.
0: I imagine there's no couples match like they do for residency for jobs.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, not, nothing formal. Um, I, I was very fortunate to be married to someone who is a highly desirable candidate for jobs here. so That's not true, actually.
3: I was the trailing spouse.
2: I was the <laughs> trailing spouse. In any event, um, it, we interviewed at, I don't know, four or five places right. around the, the southeast and
3: it was also right when the recession was starting. So there yeah. were a couple of job offers that we got that were rescinded because then they couldn't hire. Wow! So anyway, we feel like the stars were aligned um, with us being able to come back to UNC. Yeah.
2: And for a variety of reasons that we can discuss later, if you're interested, um, UNC was a wonderful place for us to land, n- not only personally, which was obvious, I think, to both of us, uh, prof-
1: but professionally as well. It's so great and and inspiring hearing each of your individual stories. And I think that was a great way to shift into how your stories merged together. If you wouldn't mind telling us how you met in the first place and starting us off with your story when you started getting together and and becoming a power couple.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I would say we are particularly interested in the... I know, Dr. Jensen, it was kind of like Chapel Hill, California, Seattle, back to Chapel Hill. But then from Chapel Hill, you went to Boston, you went to Chicago and then back to San Francisco.
3: Yeah. How much time do you have? <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, there, there is there's a story to tell. Um, I, I think the simple biographical details first. We were in the same lab in Berry Hill Hall, uh, which no longer exists. I'm struggling to find um, a totally appropriate way to tell this story. Um, so I, look, suffice it to say that I admired Lisa,
3: um,
2: and, um, made it my business to, to find ways to get to know her better. And that, you know, initially was through being in studying together at times and,
3: Oh, I wasn't in your study group. I wasn't smart enough to be in your study group. <laughs> no, we,
2: we did study together at times. I certainly made it my bus- business to, to study with you. And, and we had a number of mutual friends, um, one in particular who's still one of our closest friends. who's
3: He was my lab partner and then he was Ryan's roommate, so.
2: Yeah, yeah. That made things a little easier. <laughs> it did. It gave me an angle
3: at least <laughs>
2: um, because it, it, it was clear to me early on um, that Lisa wasn't Nearly as keen on getting to know me as I was in getting to know her. And that it, it took some time for me to persuade her that it might be worthwhile to get to know me. And so I, I think it was, you know, well, well into our first year before we started spending more time on our own together in a really fr- friendly capacity. I'm going to stop here and allow Lisa to offer her perspective.
3: Yeah, I mean, I um, came into medical school not interested in meeting anyone. I was already seeing somebody. And, you know, so that wasn't really a goal of mine. Um, So I think maybe we started dating our second year. and um, But we had um, some issues in that part of the reason I wasn't um, also interested in Brian was because of cultural differences. And um, uh, uh, I had always dated um, individuals within my own culture and background. And so I was not really interested in dating Brian. Um, and maybe that's not appropriate to say nowadays, but that was the case. And, um, and so that's why we had a long friendship. Um, and, um, and so that also led to a long time period before we decided to make a commitment in the relationship because it was, um, just, you know, um, an issue in terms of the cultural differences, not really that we had issues with each other, but just in terms of the implications of what does that mean for you know marriage, family, um, et cetera. So.
2: Fortunately for me, I am a very patient man and rather persistent, which served me well in my pursuit of Lisa and continues to serve me well in my um, pursuit of grant funding. <laughs> <laughs> we... Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think that we were certainly dating by the time I decided to take a, a year and do research with the recognition that that would put us out of phase uh, with respect to, to match. And um, it, at that point in time, there was no notion that the two of us would seek to match in the same city. When it came time for, for Lisa to, to match, she matched it at, at one of the top programs in the country, and I think your top choice, Northwestern. It was becoming apparent to me that that there wasn't a program in in Chicago that was well suited to what I wanted to do professionally. And so when I returned to clinical duties um, in what was my fifth year of medical school and applied for residency, I, I did apply to two places in Chicago, but but nothing really suited. And, and again, there was no there was no notion that we would commit to being in the same city at that point in time. Um, so I went off to Boston and we had a long distance relationship that was variably successful over the course of three years. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I suppose you measure the success by the end product and I, uh, ultimately things, things turned out worked out perfectly right. for me. Um, but there were some very difficult times while we were apart. And I think it, the, the decision to, fully commit to one another came in the last year of our residency, basically, you know, towards. Well, so sec- you know,
3: we got engaged. We second. got married our last year. Yeah. Right. It,
2: to, okay. um, so the decision came the, the year before then. Um, and, you know, even that decision, um, which was seven years after we had first met each other was difficult. And I'll again, offer Lisa an opportunity to, provide any more perspective that she would care to.
3: Um, I okay, what could I add? Well, we've always joked that we were kind of boring once we got married because we'd like been through every sort of controversy and permutation of what the issues would be at the beginning of a marriage for like 7 years. So, we generally are kind of boring in terms of we figured out a lot of stuff I think ahead of time about how we were going to manage the differences that we might have and Yeah. So in my fourth year and Brian's third year, our final years of residency, we got married back in Chapel Hill at the Carolina Inn.
2: We did. It Mm -hmm. was a terrific wedding. So much fun. Uh, I I wrote a White horse retrograde up Pittsburgh.
3: Yeah, we had an Indian to, wedding. Yeah, so. yeah.
2: We, we were informed, and you can choose whether or not to retain this in the final <laughs> clip. We were informed by the the um, facilities folks at the Carolina Inn that ours was the first ethnic wedding that they had hosted. So we were very, very excited by, by right. that notion. And so we've <laughs>
3: taken over the entire hotel, and then people who weren't even guests – were coming down to see what was going on because it was so loud and there was all <laughs> this stuff going on. We had a live band on.
2: and a tubla <laughs> player. So it was amazing. It yeah. was awesome.
3: And then um, all these people were coming up to our parents and they were saying how they, cause they had seen that we was in the courtyard. So they'd seen the wedding and this is like 2004. So I don't think there was that much like a mixing of cultures that I think that right, you know, probably yeah. you guys um, engage in. And so even in Chapel Hill. And so yeah, um, it was just funny because all these people that weren't guests were coming up to our parents and speaking to them, and I just anyway it trying was to funny. join the party. Yeah, I was like, did they have a drink in there <laughs> <Yeah>. as well? <laughs> Is there a cash bar? <laughs> I know, seriously. So anyway, uh, no, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and then we then we moved to San Francisco after we'd been long distance for basically four years, and started you know life there. Yeah. And that's where we had um, our first two kids in 2006 and 2007, two girls. 16 months. Um, I'm definitely a do as I say, not do as I do OBGYN. And uh, yeah, so they're 16 months apart and we were in fellowship. It was a really busy but fun time starting our family there in the city. But I think eventually – again, with the job prospect issue, and also just having two kids being far away from family. And for me, I grew up with most of my family um, in India, and I never got to grow up with grandparents, I never got to grow up with like the big extended family. And I didn't, I wanted to have that for my kids. So I really wanted to move back to North Carolina. And I think that was a decision that was a tough decision, because for Brian, the best place for his career where he was like, taking off, you know, was um, there to stay there. And so I think that was one of the first times we had to make a decision to, you know, focus on kind of what's best for us as a couple, as a family, as opposed to what's best for us for our individual careers. And I c- credit Brian for the support he gave and, you know, choosing to pick up and move here and start over, really.
2: Yeah, you know, ultimately, like, like any decision uh, where there are competing priorities. You have to identify your top priority, operate based on that identification. And while career certainly was and is a, a priority for me, uh, family was and is my top priority. And it was evident to me, at I, I, least as generous in, in crediting me, you know, it was certainly evident to me that from a, on a personal level being back here it was much better for me, not not just as a member of the family, but for me in general, um, my family's here. And so the notion of coming back, while a little bit frightening, frightening, <laughs> uh, professionally, largely, mm-hmm. also when examined rationally, just was clearly the right choice to make.
3: And it wasn't because UNC was a bad place professionally. It was just because with what you had started, your mentor was <laughs> mm-hmm. there at UCSF. Yeah. Your lab was, you know, everything was set up, set up yeah. there, and yeah. everything had to. He had, you know, I don't think you really had all of that set up already here. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah, time. no, that's right. If this, if this were a podcast focused on career development for MSTPs or, or PhDs, <laughs> um, I would spend some time talking about why you should not do what I did pro- professionally. But again, that that. Uh, joking aside, that would that discussion would be couched in the context of of understanding, as I did then, that that family was and always will be the, the top priority. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, professionally, the first couple of years here were quite challenging for me. Actually, I had to build a lab as someone who was in no way prepared to to start a lab. Um, took on more clinical duties than I than I should have. Um, because I was asked to do so, but also because I, I love clinical medicine and found it hard to say no. Um,
3: and you were the course director. And
2: I, <laughs> I was the course director for the cardiovascular block and, and part of the, the committee that, that designed the, the extant tech curriculum, actually, and loved that, truly did. But it was really only until I had been here for, for three or four years that the science piece of the career started taking off. Um, and so, the, yeah, professionally, the the first couple of years were quite challenging for me. Um,
3: plus, we had another baby.
2: Plus, we had another baby. <laughs> that's right. Ah, it makes it three now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. And that's as far as we go. <laughs> uh, they are um, 16, 15, and, and 12 now.
3: Yeah. He claims to be the only true Shahil in the family because he was born here <laughs> so uh, <in> through and through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah Rohendas. Yeah.
0: And, I can only imagine how challenging it is, uh, challenging these two different specialties, cardiology and OBGYN within the same household. And we're especially curious, how do you guys kind of make it work? How do you choose, for instance, career versus family? How do you balance those two careers because they are both demanding in their own right? And if you could talk a little bit more about kind of like the pros and cons of having a spouse within the medical field, maybe more on the pros, but if you want to (laughs) sprinkle in some cons, uh, feel free to do so.
2: Yeah. Well, it because you ask for advice, I'll provide some, although um, a little bit unsolicited in terms of content. yeah, marry whom you love right that that's first and foremost, right, and if that person happens to share a career that's similar to yours then then um, so be it. Fortunate to have married someone I loved and love um, and, and so everything else follows naturally from that there there are challenges with regard to to management of time and raising kids and, you know, th- those flow more from being two professional people who both of whom are fairly ambitious and, and inclined towards work. Um, I don't think that's unique to the medical field. But again, I, th- I think Lisa and I, as she said, spent seven to eight years before getting married um, coming to the realization that despite our cultural differences that we actually shared a lot of core values and that, that I think it was those core values that, that helped us and, and continue to help us, you know, navigate being a working couple with three kids.
3: Yeah. And I would just add to, you should marry someone you love and someone who's your friend, because at the end of the day, that friendship is what's going to like make you laugh rather than cry (laughs) and a lot of the things you have to deal with uh, and sustain you um, even when sometimes you are not so happy with each other because I think you're very forgiving of your friend anyway but uh, in terms of um, the professional piece yeah I think I guess a pro is that you understand what it is the other person is dealing with I don't think that many people can truly understand what it what it We deal with when we are working as physicians, particularly in clinical settings and the emotional toll and um, why we are so engaged in our jobs, because it's not just a job. It's um, so much more than that. And so it's much easier for your partner to understand that um, if they also share those similar, um, you know, professional attributes.
2: yeah. I mean, I, I think that as I sit here and think about it, the, the, key, the key concept, the key value that enables us to, to mostly successfully navigate this is trust. And that trust is born of being friends, as Lisa said, knowing each other. But I think also trust grows from a shared understanding of experiences from a shared experience. And I think that the fact that, as Lisa said, that we, we understand each other's professional existences better than we might if we both weren't physicians enables trust. And it's that trust that facilitates the success that we've had, um, I think. And, um, you know, there there are simply, I I think, you, you know, I understand that there are times in Lisa's professional existence that are going to be really busy and she's going to be less able to to do other things. Um, And she understands that there are similar times in in my professional existence when a grant is due or a week on the inpatient service where I'm just less able to contribute at home than I would otherwise. But I I think because we trust each other and understand uh, those those, um, obligations, we recognize that it all comes out even-ish. <laughs> works easier, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah, and um, and I, you know, the other pieces is, is that you have to be. Now I'm speaking from my own perspective. I can't identify Brian's perspective, but as um, a mother and um, a wife and professional, you know, there's a lot of expectations of can you do it all? And um, honestly, you can't do it all all the time. There are times when you Brian describes it as a seesaw. As opposed to balance, right? Sometimes the seesaw is one way, and sometimes the seesaw is the other way. But um, overall, you have to find ways to get it to even up throughout over time. uh, As opposed to on a, it isn't necessarily that way on a daily basis. We also, you know, you have to, you know, get help. You know, we are lucky that we have family around, and that was a conscious decision. Uh, because of the benefits of being around family for ourselves and our kids, but also to have support. And we also have had nannies and we've had no pair living with us for many years, different ones, Mm -hmm. uh, just in the recognition that we just, we can't do it by ourselves. So we, whenever people ask me, how do you do all of this? It's definitely not just me. And I think as a woman, having a partner who is supportive of your career is the number one thing. I mean, I think that really you have to, even though you can be friends and love each other and whatnot, if you want, as a woman, if you want to have a career, and again, I'm just speaking from my perspective, if your partner is not supportive, it's not going to happen. It's just not. And um and I'm sure that as a guy, you could say the same thing. But I just think that that is really key because there's so many expectations that women put on themselves and others put on women that I think um, if your partner can't um, support you, then it's just it's just becomes very hard. So I credit Brian for being that supportive partner.
2: Yeah, no, I I, I want to do two things. One is is acknowledge that I, I think everything you said about the inequities in gender roles is self-evidently true, um, unfortunately. The second thing I want to say is that, you know, for me, it's easy to support my wife. I love her and she's a badass, right? I mean, you know, how, how, can, I not, how can I not support her? <laughs> so. That's awesome. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but not everybody... Not
2: everybody's married to a woman uh, that's who you love and is a badass.
3: (laughs) No, I just mean that not everybody's ego can do that. (laughs) Not everybody's ego can take that. That's my opinion.
1: (laughs) You both have mentioned a number of valuable things in sharing your story with us. But to wrap up, I have two follow-ups. One is any advice for budding couples in medical school right now who are still early in their relationship and are about to go through journey of medicine and whether they're both in medicine or if one in medicine and the other one is not in medicine, um, if you have any advice on that. And the other question is just life advice in general slash uh, clinical pearls
3: for medical students. I guess for budding couples, I think it just goes back to what we talked about, you know, um, building that friendship and trust and that it's, you know, they're going to be, Brian and I have talked about all this like great stuff between us, but we've had Hard times that we've had to deal with um, in our relationship with each other, with our family, and things like that. And I think that those foundational things of love, trust, friendship are why we are able to be here and speak so positively about our relationship. And so make sure that, um, you know, those are in place. And again, also, um, I really think that piece of you know, um, if your partner is really ready to, it's different to be supportive of you when you're in med school, but thinking about when there's a family and those sort of traditional ways that we've all been raised to think about our different roles in families, um, is that, are you on the same page there? Because that's where I think, what is that phrase? The Rubber meets the road, or something. Mm, that's <laughs> I was, right. The phrase is wrong, yeah, that's but right. um, is when when these personal um, family related issues have to be prioritized. Has the foundation been set up right to make the decisions that are right for both of you?
2: Yeah, I I agree with everything Lisa said. Uh, I used the word values before, and, and values is a bit of a fraught word, but I think taking the time to make sure that you and your partner really do care about the same things within family and professional existence prior to committing to each other long-term. I think that's incredibly important. Um, piece of advice I would give outside of the, the role of relationships, although this implies applies to relationships as well, is be patient keep the long view in mind. I know that it feels like medical school is interminable and that you will be in training forever. But when you consider that you will be a practicing physician for decades, the years that you spend in training are actually relatively short. Um, So be patient with yourself during those years. Take as many years as you need in training to assure yourself that, that when you begin practice, you begin practice in in as close to the ideal job for you as possible, because, again, you'll be doing that for decades. And I think the same patience can and should be applied to uh, relationships as well. Patience and and long-term perspective.
0: Patience and long-term perspective. And I agree. It it feels like medical school and training is never going to end for us.
3: I would also add that medical school and training is also in time where you find another family, mm-hmm. your work family, and the people that you work with and you're spending all these hours with they're really wonderful people and uh and I have long you know lifelong friendships from those times, really funny stories you know just things that you know you'll see it when you're interacting in the in that environment just things that like nobody else will get because uh of the unique position we're in when we're working in a clinical environment, and so I find that also very enriching and something that other people don't get, uh, and is uh, something that fulfills you in a way that um, maybe isn't going to be fulfilling in a different profession. So I, oh, Brian always say you still live your lives during that time period. You heard we met each other, we had kids, we've you know been doing all the things while we've been also pursuing um, our training and things like that. So all of that can happen in parallel. Right, yeah.
1: And being a badass at yourself. (laughs) That's right. right.
3: I'm mad at you.
1: (laughs) Don't cut that piece.
0: It will stay. (laughs) Um, I always find it interesting, and Peter, you can relate to this, Dr. Shenvi, whenever they're giving us uh, advice with OAE, they always have this PowerPoint slide of where you are in your journey. And the arrow is always on the far left of the page (laughs) right before step one and that you have all these other steps, but it's like you said, we're living our lives. It's part of the journey. And although the outcomes, as you said, Dr. Jensen earlier, kind of explain or rationalize the process of getting there but the journey is just as important with that really i think this is a wonderful note to end on uh i want to thank you guys so much for being on here today and sharing this incredible journey starting with the cultural differences and the mismatched residencies and no job and having to move back across the country ultimately culminating in the first ethnic wedding of Chapel Hill. (laughs) Um, It it has been an absolute privilege to hear your story. And we're so humbled to have learned some things from your experiences. And to our listeners, that was Dr. Lisa Rondale and Dr. Brian Jensen
1: and a little window into their story. My name is Abdul. And my name is Peter. If you think someone else would benefit from listening to this episode, please share it with them. And remember to follow the Tar Heel prescription on Instagram to keep up with our speaker highlights on upcoming episodes. Thank you for tuning in today. And we We'll see you next time on the Tar Heel Prescription.